Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast, and today is a fairly unique uh, guest that's on. It marks the, the culmination of the first father and son guest that I've had on the uh, on the Bandwagon. Um, and uh, without further ado, welcome to Amrit Kula. Ricky, thank you for having me. That's a sick introduction. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel mad like imposter syndrome right now for even being on. I'll, like, yeah, go on. I'll give you the rationale. Yeah. I've been listening to your stuff, and I thought this kid is gonna. Well, I'll say kid, kid compared compared to me, right? So, um, I said he's got the potential to blow up massive. So I'm gonna try and catch him on early on his journey before he turns Hollywood. No, 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 no chance, no chance of that. <laughs> no chance. I appreciate that. That's uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize you were listening to my stuff because I've been listening to the podcast the time, and obviously I've always taken you as like a dissy. A Punjabi head, which you are as well. Yeah. But I really, yeah, appreciate that. No, it's all right. right? But also, and I'll be honest, I kind of rep the ends for a long time. So I talk about Hansworth, and you've done a you've done an EP with a with a very famous road in Hansworth, which is not so road. And yeah. uh, so I, it'll be criminal if I didn't get you on as well. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I, I knew. Yeah, yeah, I remember your um, your podcast with Gopal. And you two are like reminiscing about like bus routes and stuff like that. And I thought, yeah, these two, these two know. Yeah, that was, it, it, you don't realize because sometimes when you speak to people, you don't realize how far these conversations can go. So, you know, sometimes, it, well, when you kind of upload these things, you get an idea of where you're, where you're, where the podcast gets listened to. Mm. So, like, I've had like people from like Costa Rica, Romania, and they're all listening. And I'm like, how the hell is somebody there going to know about the number 11 bus route from Hansel yeah. wherever? Here it is. Like, people will just listen to, if there's, like, a vibe going on in the podcast and there's a nice sort of just a free-flowing conversation, people will listen to anything. Like, I'll listen to, before I was even properly, like, deep into hip-hop or, or even, like, say, basketball or NFL or whatever. For some reason, I'll listen to podcasts when they're talking about basketball or NFL or, or NBA or whatever, and it's like, Whoa, this this is kind of vibey. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's quite funny. It's quite relaxed. It's chilled, and I don't know, like ears just kind of perk up, perk up when you hear that. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, isn't it? Because if you if you think of your own, um, if you look at if you look at your YouTube algorithm, you know, like mm. um, it's obviously it adapts to what you're what you're used to. Uh, but so it's so like you could be listening to a subject matter and then it just goes missing and then out of the blue it comes back again and you're like oh shit i used to yeah. listen to that i've got like wrestling i've got other yeah. podcasts ufc man yeah. united loads of different stuff that's on there and then i'm like then like the ufc stuff goes missing 
and then Bangladesh like in there, and then it'll be like then it's weird, isn't it? Because sometimes if I'm like looking, if I've um, pod, I've done a podcast with a guest, all of their stuff starts coming on, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. So the the algorithm is too, you know, it's too lively to, to kind of like it's hard it, to look it at it that it's clean. Right, it knows you like it will know you inside out, like one little search or whatever. I remember looking through um on Instagram, you can go through what the app actually thinks of you, like what your interests are. What? I remember, yeah, like if you go into the settings and it and you look into like the data collection stuff, all that privacy stuff, they like they keep like hidden away kind of thing. I remember going through it and it was all based on stuff I liked, and it was like all the football stuff I liked, all the wrestling stuff, all the music stuff. It was like a trip because it was you just keep scrolling and scrolling, and then obviously you go to the explore page and it's exactly that kind of stuff, and it's like every single thing you like or comment or whatever, it's like building this image of you in that app, and they can just keep going and going and going. So you're kind of giving an idea. I've already got an idea of some of the stuff <laughs> you do, but in terms of like to make that grow, when you were when you were a kid, like you you come so your dad. Let's just get it out of the way at this bit. So your dad's Tubsy, UK legend, being on the on the podcast before, uh, responsible and being part of the UK Pongra scene um, for a very, very long time and had an influence. I mean, like, um, growing up in a family environment like that, which is so mu- heavily musical in that way, what impact did that have on, uh, on you? It's a, it's a big one. That's like everything to me i know i tried to like keep it hush hush or whatever but that background and where my family's been and where i've sort of grown up in that's everything to me but at the same time and now i look back on it and i can see it clearly dad never forced anything on us it was more like for example i used to go shows with him every week and i remember so like clearly growing up First, it was DCS. I remember going in the van with him. He had his glasses on. We used to go DCS shows, like weddings, whatever, whatever. And those tracks, those albums of like live with me, but not just that, like in the van, the stuff he was playing on the way there. Um, certain Alap albums, Hira, Sardul Sekundar, all that stuff is just sort of like stuck with me kind of thing. And then later on, when he switched to Jazzy B, like, I know those albums inside out. Those two, that like obviously the nineties heads, you know they say Jazzy fell off or whatever. Those two thousands albums. Don't you ever it. say that again? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. But there's enough people out there just go, oh yeah, after all, Giddy or whatever. Yeah, Jazzy lost it. But like I'll know inside out kind of thing just from like being with him at the shows, and that's like a different level of experience that you know just sitting down and learning you can't get that like that's like a whole different learning environment for me and this is at a point where he's not teaching me how to play he, he's never really taught me how to play to be honest um and i wasn't really listening to it in my own free time Like i was like virtually listening to zero music until i don't know i was 13 14 and at that point i just started listening to hip-hop and whatever whatever but up until that point i'd say the only real influence that being in that background had was just like a lived experience i guess you could say like being there and seeing it and it's sort of just i don't know just soaking it in kind of thing i, I mean like did you 
did you ever become kind of complacent because of these the the kind of people that you're uh like there's a difference in it you when you see people kind of inside circle when they're in musicians and when they see an artist kind of relaxed you see that and the way they kind of let their guard down and some of them are horrible let's put it that way and then you but when you see some people like there you also see which ones are kind of genuine as well did you kind of like you're seeing another mask another face to that did yeah. you kind of have to have that judgment made pretty early of saying like dad like your dad's it's something you, you, your parent can't teach you in that way how quickly were you able to kind of build up that skill i'll, I'll give an example yeah this is most the most embarrassing like anecdotal thing ever with jazzy b right every single show we went to when i was a kid every time i saw him afterwards I'd burst into tears. Like, I'd see him, he'd say hello, I'd cry on the spot. And this was like, I don't know, three, four, five years straight, like every week this happening. I don't know, I'm like eight, nine, and when it got to 10, I guess, like, my dad was just like, nah, I'm not taking you anymore. And I was crying every single time. And to this day, if I'm, I'm not crying now if I see Jazzy B, but if I see him now, I still get that, like, I don't know. There's like a weird aura around him and there's a weirdness around him. And the only thing I can say that that can be down to is with him. He's the most genuine, like straight up bunda I've ever seen. And he's just, I don't know, like, see, I, I guess like as a kid, I couldn't rationalize it kind of thing of like, oh, he's right there and he's just talking to us and he's just like chill. But that's Jazzy B, isn't it? But with other people, it was a bit of a, I don't know, like a learning curve. And it still is when I'm like encountering people with that on the road. And so say, for example, we had Srinda Shinda around last week and I'd heard stories. As, as you do, as yeah, you do. Yeah. 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 Shinda yeah. around. Yeah. I, I heard stories around when I was at uni, he, used to, he came around about two or three times, right? I'll say this with all due respect. Well, he's, never, he's not going to, I don't know, maybe he won't listen to it, I don't know. But he's a bit of a, I don't know, like a bit of a diva and it's a bit of a rock star kind of thing and you know like late night getting my mum to cook food and my mum cooks it brings it in he's like nah I want Mackie's genuinely like I want Mackie's now and he's like he's forcing me whatever to go drive down to like Newton Road Mackie's brings back like chicken nuggets or whatever and he's like nah 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 I don't want chicken nuggets actually. I want this that and the other and he's like that proper serious level now I can look at that and he still has like the, the banter and he's like whatever whatever I can look at that and be like, okay, that's one type of guy. He's not malicious. He's not like an evil guy, but I'm I'm learning on the go kind of thing when I'm like interacting. With those <laughs> no, you just say that story reminded me of the first time I met him, and um, he he he, he was at Radio XR, and uh, he came in and he just asked. At that time, it was like orange pays you go, and you get the cards, the scratch off cards. And back then he was just he was just uh, he needed to phone home and he had the geezer with him in it, and the guy he goes I need this get get me some credit to the guy, and the guy goes like how much and he goes a hundred and fifty pounds worth, right like a hundred and fifty pounds worth. I was like, Whoa. like who the fuck is this geezer rigging? Like a five month contract. Yeah, yeah, but but the guy like he controlled the room he's got that aura around him and he, it's like is i'm guessing like that show speed is it that that guy who who's just fanatical about ronaldo yeah 
Yeah. I guess it's weird like that with Jazzy. You know, I've met him. I've met him. And like, I mean, he's a proper chilled geezer. He's like yeah. that one. And you could kind of there's a human side of stuff, but then there's people who um, I've seen like even lesser artists and DJs and that who think they're something special. I said, mate, you're you're special in this leisure centre because everyone's exactly. listening to music. That, but that you ain't nothing like, when you yeah. go into the car park. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, like with Shinda, I get it. It's Shinda. He's larger yeah. than life. Yeah. I've got like how many vinyls like of his. I'm like, whatever in it. Like you do whatever you want to do, but you meet those those B level, C level, D level artists that are like just full ego, want the pump. And I've like, as Dad has, I've seen them come and go as well. Like I'll go to shows one week, then a couple years later, I'm asking them where's he gone it's like i want people to like think in their heads who they've seen on the wedding circuit that they haven't seen in five six years there's yeah. enough of them there are plenty of them that had like i don't know 12 strings of one like of hits that sounded exactly the same and now they don't exist anymore yeah and and that's that's not because that, their music wasn't hitting because people don't want to work with them like they've burnt enough bridges and that side of your personality it goes and that's why with jazzy the longevity for me just comes from he's built up good relationships with everyone and he's not done it like intently like oh I'm just going to be Mr. Nice Guy to everyone he's just a nice bondada like and you see that and I guess I guess for some people you know people that have that ego and that pump and they've had the longevity as well but nine times out of ten you get found out and but you know that yeah. even with the nine times out of ten it's that, that those nine is like don't meet your heroes or don't like because it kind of lets you down. You end, yeah, up, you end up talking about only the few that were like, yeah, actually, you know, something. They were they were pretty sick, man. Yeah, hundred um, percent. There's a few. There's a few experiences where I've just been like the dad afterwards, like, nah, this guy, this guy's fooling himself, and this guy's just uh, off his head. It. So you know, like in terms of your your musical journey, you've kind of given the atmosphere. You've you've met, you you could clearly tell that you're uh, like. Your own decision maker. How you done? You really you got that relationship with your dad and, and whatnot. Did you? Did you? Was it a first choice of going into kind of the music way? Did you? What kind of instruments did you play, or what? What? What did you do? Um, as a kid, all I remember is just sort of like tapping my tapping my thighs kind of thing, and like tapping whatever tabletop or whatever. But again, there was a combination of dad not forcing it on us. And dad also just not even having the time really, like to just sit down and have that full on like a star shigidi kind of relationship where he can fully teach you what what he learned. Whereas he had that opportunity when he was a kid and he could fully do that week in, week out. And um me personally, I was like, if I'm not learning from you, I'm not gonna learn from anyone kind of thing. And over time that shock just went like I wasn't I wasn't really interested in playing double R dolki doll. We had a little little doll group um, in Derby, Team Raw, that my dad used to teach on a weekly basis. Even then, like after a while, I was one of them ones where you just you become a teenager and you're like you're kind of rebelling kind of thing. And I was just telling my dad like, nah, I've about going this now. Like, I don't want to go. Like, what's this to me? And at that same point, my taste kind of shifted and. I probably didn't listen to a single bit of Punjabi music from, I don't know, 2013 till 2019, really. Like, just 
purely hip hop, whatever I could get my hands on kind of thing. And at that point, again, it was just confined to just playing on my hands, playing on like tabletops or whatever. And it's only recently when I've started like experimenting with making beats and it's come back to me kind of thing. And I've realized like that was still there, like subconsciously kind of thing, that groove or, or the stuff that my dad was teaching really like low key kind of thing that's still stuck with me. I said on um, the Friction show the other day, I mentioned how my dad used to play under the influence quite a lot. And there was one track in particular, Mil de Yard, where Zeus, I don't know what was going on in that studio where they've got that double R and that like that groove just like pulsating throughout the song. And he's put like some reverb on the top end or something. And it's like just floating in that in that track the whole way through. And I remember listening to it as a kid. I remember listening to it as I was growing up. And then when I went back to Punjabi music, listening to it again, I was thinking, yeah, my dad knows, like he knew what he was doing. Like he might not have been teaching me the ropes and like all the balls or whatever, but the groove and um, that intangible kind of stuff that was being taught to me in a real, like real distinct way. It's pretty, because it's like, you often see kind of in comparisons in like we'll go back to kind of sport and football or where you see like a really successful father and then the son is almost there to try and take on the match and always trying to fight this thing isn't it it's like it's not it's just natural bit from me i want to jump ahead slightly and then go back to your bit uh, to, to make this point which is when i listen to your ep there was absolutely nothing of your dad in there at all because it was, you know, you, you, there was, it was so raw in the, in the hip hop, like kind of um, uh, New York sound. Um, really rough in terms of like some of the sound where I was thinking drops would come in, not there. Another sound would come in and you could just see this is like, pure kind of raw early hip-hop kind of you know vibe that's the vibe from it i'm not a hip-hop expert and i'll say it at this point but that was the experience got from it so did you feel you had to do something completely to the other side the extreme to kind of uh subcon you talk about the subconscious the subconsciously kind of kicked that off off the off, off your shoulder because i i haven't like i ain't come to do this because of, of your dad for example it's from his raw talent and uh you know yeah, that's yeah. there to kind of like i'm thinking this guy's from the air from the ends he's whatever he's doing and it, it's caught my attention very rare yeah. i can say that there i hear something i'm like i need to go and hear that back again you know just for the music you know i just yeah. want to hear that back again i'd say that part that part is conscious of making something different and making something creative but making something different to my dad or doing nothing like my dad's ever done that's purely subconscious i'd say that was never like a because if i could play like my dad i would play like my dad like yeah. if i could play a dorky like my dad forget me i'd pack it up today i'd like throw my laptop away i'd throw it on my hard drives away whatever i'd do that but very early on i realized i was watching my dad and to this day where i'd say he's better today than he's ever been no question about it true school said the same thing to me as well he, he called me out of the blue randomly and we just randomly like talking about percussionists and he was like he is the best today than he's ever ever been like forget never mind the all it's whatever 
And I've seen that like close up. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's intimidating. It's like, it's scary. It's like, my hand can't do that. How, like, how does he do that? And I know he could teach me a million, a million different things, but he would never be able to teach me that because he picked up the dolki. You heard it on the podcast. He picked it up when he was like however many years old. And that's all he dedicated his life to. If I can't do that, why would I even try and mm. like match those levels? If I can't be the best at something, I'd never want to do it. And the way I saw it was the way I've just trained my ear over the years without knowing it. The thing that I can be the best at is this. It is beat making. It is sample chucking. It is doing something different. And for many, many years, I, I told myself, I was like, I need to be doing something different in Punjabi music. I've heard, like, you've already heard True School do what he's done. You've already heard Punjabi MC do what he's done before that. Death Jam, et cetera, et cetera. How do I bring something different to that? And really, there was no, like, concerted plan of, it's got to be completely different to my dad. It was just, it's got to be completely different to everything. So I'm glad that comes out on the EP and, like, my, my tracks because it was more of a two-step thing of I want to, I don't want to do the same thing my dad's done, but I also don't want to do the same thing that anyone else has done, if that makes sense. So you, you've made a clear distinction to go towards kind of the production side of work um, around there. Um, at what age did you start thinking um, about that? I'm, I'm very, I'm very picky when I ask guests around about age stuff, because I try and kind of frame it in terms of what, you know, yeah. what it was like as a, at that age, majority of the time, I'm a prat and an idiot. But yeah. this also for like comparison of what other people at that age are doing. I'd say if I had to like pinpoint a particular time, one one age I can give you specifically, one age I can't. When did you stop you crying, know. basically? With, <laughs> with hasn't stopped, hasn't stopped. But <laughs> with, um, with like thinking about making beats, I can't give you a particular time because. If anyone, anyone that's ever like listened to hip hop for an extended period of time, you'll have two thoughts in your head. I want to rap, I want to make beats. And you realize quickly, like you'll either be able to do one of them or probably neither of them, right? And I realized I couldn't rap. So I was like, Did you try? I, I tried, I tried, I tried. <laughs> but with, um, uh, with beats, it was like, it was just like a fascination of just watching YouTube videos of my favorite producers and how were they making it? Like, how did you get such a, a sound? Like, how did you do this? It was just, it wasn't like, I want to do that. It was more, how did you do it? And there's loads of crazy videos out there, but one series was the Rhythm Roulette series, which is basically they take a, a hip hop producer, blindfold them, put them in a record store, and they have to pick out three records that are blindfolded go back into their studio, see where the records are and use a sample on each one and make a beat out of them. And I remember thinking like, how the, what's going on here? Like that was my first introduction to vinyl. I had no idea what vinyl was. Then like a vinyl player, like how are you plugging your vinyl player into this machine thing in the middle? Then you have like an MPC. I'm like, I was completely like glued. Um, but even then there was no, oh, dad, can you get me one of these? Can you do this? Can you do that? It was just more, I don't know, a fascination with it. It was only really um, in my 20s, like I literally hit 20. Um, no, I was 19. I was 19, exactly 19. 
um, that I started making beats. So this was uh, March 2020, February, March 2020, that I invested in, I haven't got it here, but this like small MPC programmer thing, just because that's what I'd seen other people do. Like I, I had no idea what modern producers were using. I, just, I just knew what Pete Rock, DJ from here, whoever were using. So I got one of those, hooked it up to my laptop, and just started making beats. And that was like, I didn't know how to program drums. Didn't know how to like load in drum samples or whatever. I was just sample chopping completely. And that's kind of where it just escalated. Like my first beats are still on SoundCloud. Um, so if you just go all the way down to the bottom, my very first beat I put on there because it was like a really conscious decision of, I want to put them on there so I could see the growth in a couple months, in a couple years. So every now and then I'll go back, I'll listen to them like, whoa like that's where it first started and now look what the beats are making and if i'm feeling low on inspiration or whatever i can even look back on it and think oh that was actually a, a decent idea so well, yeah, was, it, was it purposely done a month before covid kicked in no say so, okay here's what here's exactly what happened um i'll be i'll be completely honest i haven't really said this to a lot of people but um i don't want to make it too deep but i had like a a mental health thing. I had a, um, a suicidal thought basically up until that. I mean, I'd say from November, December, and then really for some reason in January, it was really kicking deep. And I'm, I'm at uni at this point as well. And yeah, it was a, a bad period. And at that point, I started thinking, I need to take a year out. Like, I know it's hard to explain to to a lot of people but anyone that has been through it will understand there's there's like an irrational side to your head and there's a rational side and a lot of times your irrational side is is kicking you down like it is dominating it's like the loudest voice in your head but there was still that like rational side of me that was i guess keeping me alive and it was it was telling me i need to take the year out i need to this is i need to be home i need to be i need to be away from here and by the time that happened, I guess that was February that that finalized. Then you have lockdown start in in March, I think it was end of Feb yeah. March. So I always take that as like the biggest, the biggest blessing, the biggest, biggest blessing. But um, without disrespecting anyone that um, went through COVID or anyone whose families you know suffered due to COVID, for me personally that combination of being at home and having that time to myself and everything sort of paused. It was like being in my own bubble kind of thing. And um, I really got to zone in and I'd take, I'd do anything to have that time back kind of thing. So yeah, really grateful for that. Yeah. I, I don't want to obviously press it in too much in, in terms of, in terms of some of the circus and stuff, but like, was it, you know, when you're talking about everybody has good and, and, um, good and bad mental health and it can episodes or it can kind of fluctuate within it they your um your educate you know you're not just the again of a kind of a standard education kind of guy you you've got really deep knowledge in terms of like from your education like if you hope if you don't mind me saying like you from a cambridge background and you know the work pressures that if you go to even experience it you know what the culture's like there there's like a 
you know, there's a there's an invisible wall of pressure that's coming, and it's a very yeah. strange place to be honest. Um, yeah. uh, I, I I went there over the summer a few times, um, and it, it's always got this vibe to it where you could just see there's this competitiveness just around there. Do you reckon it was all of those kind of things combining in there, or am I just totally away from the mark? That was maybe 60, 70, 70 percent of it really. That was I'd kind of gotten used to it at a point. And in my final year, I'll say like my final year, final exam, um, your biggest year, the best year of my life. And at the same time I'm making music at the same time. So I can't say it would completely dominate me. But at that particular point, and I'll I'll speak to that actually with, with Cambridge. Um it's a it's a really really lonely environment like lonely more than anyone can really imagine where there's a thing that students know as the cambridge bubble where you go in that first week of october and you're there for eight weeks straight you don't leave they they tell you like we want you to stay here for eight weeks you don't go back home and it's just intense like work every week whereas other unis i guess it's what 10 11 12 weeks you can really spread yourself out you have reading weeks as well so a lot of unis have that that advantage but with cambridge it was always every time like it was kind of like a a dreading thing where you go straight in and um yeah that that particular time it really it really hit the loneliness of it and i'd also made the decision to stay over during the holidays because I mean the work was that intense like you had to kind of make up for it if you did slip behind so I'd stay over in Cambridge and imagine now like that loneliness taken up to the next level because no one's there like however many like people would have stayed but yeah and what was your what was, what were you studying in was it was it history, history. Yeah. yeah history yeah yeah so that's another another like dimension to it was history had like zero contact hours where you were just sort of expected to meet your supervisor once a week, get your books in and just write your essays, like mash your essays out kind of thing. And yeah, it was like proper burnout. Like, like, at certain levels, it was really, 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 really intense. But um, with, with what happened, that was like a large contributing factor. But the other side to it was the other side to it is I can't explain it like there's I, I really to this day I really don't know how to rationalize yeah. what I was going through um for like a long long period of time one thing I always felt was like this lack of control like um a lack of agency in my own life where I felt like things were happening to me that I didn't really have a say over that I wasn't really controlling like going to Cambridge, for example, or certain good or bad things happening in my personal life or whatever, it really felt like there was like, and this comes from a purely egotistical, like selfish place where I really felt, uh, I really felt like there's someone was playing like a joke on me kind of thing, where it was like, I had no decisions over what was happening. And that kind of played with me a lot, a lot over that period. And I guess in like a really, a, a twisted sense, I thought, um, taking my life would be like taking agency back like having control back over my life um yeah i know it's, it's a bit dark but yeah that's so that's it, 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 i mean obviously it ends in a positive story because you're here but in terms yeah. of kind of like your your 
your support? What, what what did you do? How did you manage to get through that phase? I remember um, I was walking back back to my room, and he was like, my head was just getting bombarded with like thoughts on the way back, and it was like a real struggle just to like get get up the stairs and get in my room. And I remember being in the kitchen and I was staring at like I was staring at a knife basically, and again that rational side of your head does kick in and i called my dad instantly and i was like i can't i can't even really like comprehend why i even said to him it would it would have been the most blunt way possible like that i think i'm gonna do this mm. and he spoke in like the calmest most assuring manner ever and like the next day he drove up and it's like a three-hour drive or like three days. ain't gonna drive down tonight. But he kind of just calmed me down. I got me to sleep that night, and he came down and I burst into tears like as soon as he got in. And all I remember saying was, "I don't understand." Like I just said, "I don't understand." And cried like half an hour or whatever. And um, he's really the one that pushed me to take that to take that year out. He was like, "Listen, forget, forget." Because my mom, obviously, having that Disney background, the Punjabi background, she was more like, "When you finish the year, and then you got your summer, and it's a chilling." Like, so I, my dad was like, "No, no, like, yeah, you got all day then, anyway." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my dad was like, "No, no, you need to come home." So he really, and the other side to that was afterwards, because you know how family are. Like, everyone's asking questions. Everyone was like, "Us, why are you not? Why are you not going uni? Why are you not there? That or the other?" And He'd, without me saying anything, he'd buy it away and be like, "Oh, it's it's COVID. They've given the opportunity, like they've given the chance for you to stay home, kind of thing." He took that on himself to lie and and, and protect me. I'd say so. Yeah, that so that like was a support system for me. Last question I want to just ask on this bit, and then yeah, because yeah. like obviously it's it's a very heavy subject, and I'm not an expert to speak into this matter, but. It's, it's important to kind of highlight it for anybody who's kind of relatable uh, in, in this bit. The Amrit that we're speaking to now, what would this Amrit say to that Amrit there in the kitchen? What I learned over the year, two years since then, um, and I really have to thank Siki for this really, have to thank a good Barney for it really um that thing that I was feeling that lack of control learning about hookum and learning that you know you can actually lift that weight off your shoulders in real time like you can really live a relaxed stress-free life if you you understand that that aspect of life really I, I don't know. It's quite it's quite heady, or like it's hard to to really rationalize. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, no, it, it, it's like um, just acknowledging that that lack of control and then accepting it instead of trying to fight against it. Where at that point it was like I don't know, in a in a in a way, trying to swim against the tide. Where it was like all these things are happening for a reason. And you're here in this position on a fight against it because you don't understand. You don't understand what's going on. Um, 
and really sticky and delving into Satiki and, and Gurdwani really taught me how to accept those things. And um, yeah, so if I was talking to myself, I'd just say accept it and don't don't fight against it, which is easier said than done. But that's one of those main things that really really brought me out of that. And did you seek kind of the professional help on top of that when you spoke after speaking with your dad? Yeah, thankfully because of um, my dad's background, um, working in like community care and and sort of connections he had, he got me in contact with a with a therapist and it was like a I don't know eight nine weeks of like a, a weekly like hour hour or so um, session and yeah really it really helped sort of just verbalizing everything and really just just saying it. Um, at the start, it was like, I'll be honest, I was just lying. Like, I wasn't really telling the truth because it was like, oh, you're not going to understand this. So why am I telling you? Like, but over time, I realized it's it's not for her. It's not, it's for me to really just get it off my chest kind of thing. But an, another thing that people really should, if they are going through that, is jot things down. Don't be afraid to talk to yourself. Like, just really rationalize things because in your head, it's out of your control, in my opinion. Like your thoughts really do take on, like I don't know, like a mind of their own kind of thing. But once you say those things or write those things down, you realize how I don't know nonsensical they can be. Like they really become like if you really try, like how I've just been doing for the last like fifteen minutes. Mm. I can't, I can't rationalize it. I can't yeah. put it into string sentences because it doesn't make sense. So um, that's one of those main things that I really learned from that. But it made sense to you at the time. This didn't it's, make. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So are you conscious then in terms of even when you like you're going through you know, you I'm I'm get I'm, you know, from the way you've kind of described it and hinted it, was that the music was maybe the kind of the medication in terms of like trying to do the therapy around it. Were you conscious that, that you didn't have that same kind of work ethic around that? Because sometimes you can my my kind of work with addictions over the years. I always there's always this risk around substitution where somebody stops this one bit and then they just delve into something else. Yeah. It used to be like with heroin, used to be using methadone, methadone, alcohol, alcohol, energy drinks, and all these kind of things. Was there a risk of that for you then as well that you were kind of going to dive straight into the because you you're a historian, you look at the you look at lessons of of history. Um, what did you was was that was that a, a viability choice? I've definitely learned about myself over the years that I have that addictive personality. Um, I don't know how I'd self-diagnose it or whatever, but even the way I started listening to music, so when I started listening to the hip-hop rap music, it was like I was on this my own mission to like have an encyclopedic knowledge of it. Like, oh, I need to learn about everything from the, the late 80s and all the way down to now. Um, when I started really watching wrestling, like. I watched it as a kid and then I remember when the WWE Network came out I was like I want to watch every every single pay-per-view that's ever existed <laughs> and I went on a binge like and I, I don't know where that comes from I don't know where that like side of my personality comes from um, same with films with TV whatever like I have that side to me and I was really quite wary of the fact that like you said that it could happen with music where um I could go into it and it just takes over my life and I don't want to do anything else. And you get, and to be honest with you, I do get those days where I'm like, I spend a day making beats and I haven't been outside. I haven't had a walk. 
like I'll, I'll get up and my legs feel a bit feel a bit strange and it's just having that like self-awareness or that rationalization where you can be like no this isn't the right thing to do and taking that break and really like learning from it kind of thing so in the in the start of it i was yeah i was i was actually pretty scared of it but at the same time i also have like this self-conflated like idea that um somehow going to be able to like handle it like i don't know like you just what what, what era of history did you specialize in or your kind of favorite oh uh okay what era i specialized in in my final year i did modern american history so that was mainly 20th century stuff i did a paper on indian democracy which is a very political paper again 20th century all the way up to modi actually um, and then I did my dissertation on a dissertation on hip hop, and a mini dissertation on um, violence in Indian democracy. The the link between violence and politics in India, and that that's probably why it was the most enjoyable year for me because I got I really got to like go in and stuff like <laughs> channel that. channel that aggression. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah, because um, is it, it, it was interesting because I did quite a lot of some of the bits that you did i did a politics degree um so we looked at kind of like new model social movements okay um some of the philosophy a bit of history yeah. around the uh, communism and socialist yeah, governments yeah, yeah. cuba and stuff so yeah. um you know you've we'll, we'll probably have to have a conversation offline just in case we got taken down um uh okay so like that's okay i need to break down a few things what you just kind of okay. said before so right wrestling favorite yeah. era time wrestlers go for it okay i'll say my i got two favorite eras right my attitude's gotta era, be one of them right that's early attitude era is my number two and i say early i specialize i specify early because you still have bret hart and Shawn michaels at their peak like in that early era and for me i'm always i've always been like a technical wrestling fan where i've always like enjoyed the um I don't know, like the art of it really, like seeing their matches and just like being like, whoa. Um, so that's 94, like, 95, yeah, pre Montreal Screwjob, yeah? Exactly, exactly. So just as that transition happened and before before Austin um, Austin got hurt and he had to do like the limited sort of like moveset. Yeah, the rest, yeah. So yeah. pre Owen Pile Driver. Exactly, exactly. But my ultimate, ultimate favorite era is the NXT era from like, Five six years ago, oh, see, where... I'm 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 out I'm out of it at that beat. Yeah, I'm... yeah. I see. I kind of gave up when yeah. um, the Rock used to do too many cameos coming back. Yeah, I just couldn't yeah. I couldn't keep a pace of it then. And then I I was always yeah. familiar with NXT stuff and that, but I a lot of the documentaries, a lot of the shoot stuff, a lot of the uh, interviews. Because I think mm-hmm. part, I love because inadvertently, you know, you have like you, how you learn is wrestlers are some of the best on the mic speakers that you can get, and okay. you, the 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 way they deliver rarely make state uh, mistakes. Very good mm-hmm. for anybody who's um wants to practice public speaking, believe it or not. Yeah. And um, so I used to kind of watch it subconsciously just for that. Right. And then so when it started to become scripted, mm-hmm. I I can't. You could kind of tell. Whereas yeah. where before it was really off the cuff. And, um, 
So around about, I would say, just before NXT and stuff that came in, I just lost. I couldn't keep up with what was what was going down. I'd follow yeah. something if it was like on a, a pay per view. I turned into casual then, but yeah, no. I, honestly, I probably went through the same thing. Like that era, the era that I grew up on, when I went back and like I could actually watch it properly. I'm like, this is not like it's completely watered down. Not only is that character work missing, the wrestling stuff, like it's the wrestling. It went exactly, into PG basically. Exactly. The PG era was just like, and for me, NXT, when it really took off, was like a breath of fresh air kind of thing, where they were really like, okay, it was still PG, but the wrestling was on like a different, different planet. Like guys are wrestling for like 30 minutes, and you're thinking, yo, this is like a, this is like a serious like, situation right now. And, um, there was like a good stretch of like, I don't know, four or five years where that was, I wasn't watching like the main stuff. I was only watching that. Yeah. And that, I guess that was really what took me back into watching that, that 90 stuff. So yeah. I guess if I, if I was like the same age during the John Cena era and seeing that character work, I'd have a greater appreciation for the 90s character work of like The Rock and Stone Cold and, I don't know, like gold dust or something, that over the top sort of like character work. Yeah. I'd have a great appreciation for that. But technical wrestling for me. Is, is so, in terms of Punjabi music, then, what's your yeah. kind of favorite era? What you kind of go in? Because I got an idea in terms of your hip hop. Yeah. And then I'll, go, I'll get onto influences a little bit later. But from like you're, let's say you're an art, you're a, a student of history, um, mm. which you fucking are anyway. But I'm just mean in terms of like these genres. What would you say is your yeah. kind of favorite? For, for me, um, I've got a few, but I'd say number one will always be that late seventies, early eighties. It's cliche, but like the late seventies, early eighties folk era um, of Kuduk Manu, Kuduk Man, Sendachinda, Sengila, etc., etc. And that's less to do with them and more to do with Chandu Dorja, which is like so from the so it's rather the actual musical production side of work, yeah. yeah. God, God level, like God level of music production. There's a reason why, like, physical samples are so extensively. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There's a reason why those samples still live on, those meats still live on, is because there was something going on with that guy's head and that guy's hand where he was putting magic for each one of his artists. And the main thing that I in a way like that I can link to wrestling really each each of those singers had their own distinct sound base their own style their own signature exactly exactly um, where could be best like the best characterization of it is that Sargul Skandar Broadway's Bilari where he like 
he can condense each artist down to their each individual style and you can tell instantly oh that's him that's him that's him because Janji Dehuja gave each one their own distinct sound where Marnik was known for I don't know maybe the fast-paced Dumbi, Ulgoje, Torki, Shinda, that lower um, that slower low mandolin kind of flex Jamkila had, had his own flex etc etc that that was really what drew me into that era and I remember like I still have conversations with my dad like on a daily basis. I'm like, how how did it go from that to like what happened in the 90s and the late 90s in terms of the India sound? Because it had such a drastic shift and everything completely changed that it didn't make sense to me like for for a number of years. But, what do you think? What do you think happened? Okay, if I had to, people are gonna like. I know there's like actual historians out there that just know the answer to this, so sorry in advance. But I'll always point to Jim Gila's death as like that watershed moment um, where Jim Gila dies for particular reasons. If if you like believe the main, the main oh, there's, theory, oh, there's loads of conspiracies yeah, that, yeah. that is around like what, what's I'd, happening, lyrics, I'd, um, yeah. movements, um, yeah. uh, singers, all these kind of things. That, allegedly, all these things that happen. I'll, I'll believe that it was the Karkus in it. I, I believe that. And to be fair, I don't side either way. Like I, I can see what happens. I have a lot of sympathy as well for, for the Karkus in that situation in terms of this is like post-84. The situation is volatile. Like We can't put ourselves in that, like, in that position where what were those people in those villages thinking when APS Gill's like, running his men in, into those villages Kicking people out and killing them on site, like at that in that situation, we can't we can't rationalize it. We can't put ourselves um, in those shoes. So I understand it, but at the same time, Shankila was a bad man. Like he was like a gangster, like proper one of my favorite favorite singers. So I think that moment said to a lot of people, "Nah, folk, we we gotta stop this." Want to stop folk really? So that, was, what, so, yeah. so that was a shift change in terms of folks and maybe potentially lyrics. Yeah. But what would you say was the difference in the production techniques? Because that was completely different, wasn't mm, it? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think at that same time, the UK just the UK just went crazy. The UK went absolutely crazy, and India could not keep up. In that same that same year, or around that same time that Shankila died. Shinda and Gurdasman released like disco albums, right? Like proper poppy disco albums. And that sound for me is like Zanchi parody. Like that's like they clearly heard that sound in the UK. They clearly heard the synth stuff going on. Yeah, we're gonna jack that. We're gonna do the same thing. And it didn't work because like I said, like the Hujja had created their stuff, like their sound and their yeah. stuff. It was set for Hira, it was set for this, it was set for a lot, it weren't set for them. So UK just came to on a next level, like. But you could see what they were trying to do. You could see even now with with artists where they're like, "Oh, this is where the money is, and it? Oh, the where they get the big shows and the tickets are being sold. They listen to this kind of music. I'm yeah. gonna release something with this with this beat and go for it." I had this I had this conversation like a week or two ago with Vishal and um, Manraj Kera, like both musicians in the UK, and we were like, "Why do artists just?" jump from beat to beat from style to style every song like 
what, what do you actually gain out of that? You're confusing the audience, if anything. And they don't know what your style is. They don't know what yeah. um, your trademark, your signature is. The only person that has done that successfully since, I guess, Jazzy B, really, but the only person, like, present day that's done that successfully is Diljeet, where Diljeet's gone from, you know, what he was doing with Honey Singh, then he did Bruceful, then he went snappy, then he does, now, he, now he's doing the intense stuff. That's, like, five, six different genres that he's just covered and you don't even know what the next one's going to be like. He's got a Chabkilla film coming out. It's going to be completely folk. Like, and then after he's, that, he'll go straight back to. He's it. a very smart man. He is. He he's, he's got loads of plates simmered in the background. Yeah, exactly. And he's the only bunda that can get away with that, in my opinion. And like the artists that I think that more artists should really look at and take as like what they should be doing is the prophecy because. A lot of these artists today have come and gone um, and they've been in the top spot. So if you look at when Dajit was top and Sidhu and Gurren came along, now AP and Shub have come along and we don't know who the next one are going to be. We don't know. But in that consistent, like consistently through that period, the prophecy has always been like third or fourth. Like he hasn't, he's never been the top guy, but he's always stayed consistent. Why are you, why are you uh, just for kind of... Uh... Yeah. Clarification: What are you? What are you? Um, what are you using in terms of your criteria? Because if yeah. you look at streams and you look at this, like AP Sidhu now is on a different structure. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. just forget. Let's just make that very clear. Yeah. No one's hitting these numbers. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, mm. and I, I think even it's gone way beyond even like Monday on Tabat. Or it's he's being talked about everywhere. He's an he's an icon. Now, definitely, I'm definitely. kind of say bastard. Though, mm. what's your criteria? Streams, yeah, I'd, I'd say streams and um, also cultural relevancy as well, because you can always have that one hit wonder, like um, some of that song, Dado Badnam or whatever. Like that's still like one of the biggest like yeah, selling songs ever. Crazy. But we, we don't know their names, don't know what they're doing nowadays. People saw that Manny, Manny, Manny Sandy, like consistent, yeah. high, high numbers, high, high, like up there with AP numbers and. Oh, and he dictated that sound as well. Like what he and AP did with that one song, um, that Maja song, and where AP's gone since then, and like that sample based sound, and then what he's done with Bundle as well. Like there's a lot of overlap happening, and these artists are in conversation with each other, kind of thing. But with obviously the thing, I, like the reason why I'd single him out is because yeah. he's got his own sound down to it. And the main, the other main thing is, when he does a collaboration with another singer, they jump into his world. They use his sound. Mm. Sidhu did, Sidhu did that Sony Lagade. Like that's that's a prophecy song, really. He done an Amrit Man song. It's a prophecy song, really. Like he never like takes their sound on, but it's like they're aware that he's in his own world. We want to take a bit of that, and that's why longevity wise, he'll outlast anyone else in my opinion i'm not even like a massive fan like i never really listened to him before um before the single song which i had to like i just had to check out and then i thought wow this guy's like like he's in his own pocket kind of thing and other artists want to have that but they're too busy thinking about bottom line or whatever do you think that's what it was in terms of like from 80s to 90s to whatever you had a lot of people who had their own sound so if you want to hear a particular kind of sound that's what you want to, that's where you'd go to. You listen to the Sahotas for their kind of sound. Exactly. Uh, or Suffrey Boys for their kind of thing. 
like prophecies like one of the ones who's got his own sound the others may sound a little bit similar and but the ones who are successful have got distinct own sounds yeah exactly so what you're trying like, is that what like, you're saying like, yeah like say say with ap right he came out onto the scene with a sort of maybe close to like a prophecy kind of sound where it was like trap um r&b a bit of hip-hop as well and then he went and did that full 180 with intense and it's like that dream pop synth pop like 80s uk american kind of sound and he's lived there since and like you can see him sort of moving here and there with it but when your number one songs on your streaming sites stay like that i know for a fact that those artists have in the back of their heads oh i need to do another one of those so are you looking at are you looking at things when you're producing and you're getting an idea or you're new to the game okay so Mm -hmm. let's say for a lot of people you've existed in a year you've come onto the into this bit are you kind of going there with the kind of analytical scientific approach of this is what i've got to do this is how it's got to be or are you saying i'm just going to be me and be free spirit create whatever i'm going to do or are you actually having and the the realistic answer is it's actually a bit of both because i don't believe when artists say when they say oh i'm just doing something different i'm doing it on my own well that's yeah. bullshit because your marketing strategy means that you're doing exactly the same what everyone else is doing Exactly. So you know you've got you can turn around and say you've got elements of everything within there. For me, um, I do create solely with like my own sort of style in mind. Yeah, but I'm always I am always paying attention to like what's popping up. Like recently, listening to the uh, Arjun Dillo album that dropped, and the songs on there and the styles on there, and I'm thinking okay, that's interesting. Like, he's now the guy that's really gunning for that, that top spot kind of thing in a, in a mainstream and jumpy sense. And that's because he's managed to combine in like a post-Siddu era. Like, he's got that lyrical side that Siddu had, but he's also got the clean, um, more poppy production that, say, like a Garen will have as well. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, what's working? What's not working from that? And whether I incorporate or not, um, there's always got to be like, I always take a step back afterwards and like, okay, how do I add my sound to that? Um, so in terms of kind of like your sound, who have you kind of learnt from then in terms of like your 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 key influences, for example? I'd say purely hip hop. Madlib is, for me, the guy. Like this guy, um, Late 90s, early 2000s um, really popped off because you could tell with his productions that he was producing with nothing kind of thing where you could hear like the rawness, I guess, or like the real primitive like nature of it. And since then, he's like pioneered that sound of um, sample chopping and really bare bones production a lot of looping happening as well that you just, the real art to it is like asking yourself, how do we do that? How do we loop that? How do we find that loop? How do you think to add this loop to that loop? Mm. And for me, that's always been like a, a major influence. So like with the, um, with the EP, one moment for me that was like, that I felt really, really gassed about was on Liquid Swords, the beat break sort of the first or second piece, I think the first piece, where it completely slows down, um, it switches gears, you have a piano sample, 
and you have like a an accordion sample on top and it's two completely different songs two completely different eras and for me it felt like a jigsaw puzzle kind of thing of how do i make these two match and then how do i make it come back into the song afterwards without it sounding too clunky or too so that's too, a style uh, that you kind of like lifted from it exactly exactly so that's like my main my main main influence but other influences from a Punjabi sense um for example in school Punjabi MC like especially I remember I heard you talk about it as well this album so I'm not I'm not saying it all day because you said it but 100% proof is the baddest album of all time. I got I get into trouble when I mention how how much I love 100% proof because the purest. Really? Yeah, yeah. This, but I for me, like, I, I, it's only kind of a, like a personal one, which was where I remember where I was when I first heard 100% proof, right. and it was Marnik singing it. It was singing Goi more the actual the song. I remember where I was to this day. Yeah, and it was the first. It's like it stopped me in my tracks. Like I was a kid. I was like, what the hell is gonna stop? Nothing stops a kid in its track. Yeah, apart right, from getting right. blasted, getting in trouble from your parents. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I kind of heard that and I was like, oh my god! And then I actually, you know, I was at that point where I was con- considering I'm gonna nick this tape. <laughs> You know, what right. I mean? but yeah. then I kind of worked out who it was, and then I kind of asked my dad, "I go, can you get me this tape?" Cause I didn't know. I was too scared to go into like um, shops, like Indian shops, you know, like to buy songs because they're massive yeah. places. Right. And um, anyway, I ended up getting it, and then I just kept listening. To it. And then when Grassroots came out, for example, you know, I was starting to play the doll at that time and you're just pretending to kind of keep up with Shinda and you, you know, what, yeah. what are you doing the percussion and you got absolutely no, no chance. Yeah. And then, um, then, you, then I always had a kind of a love for the doll and stuff. So mm. when I listened to like, hearing your dad on like doll Nagara or anything like, listen to his and did it and when he did doll love it, doll love it. So I was kind of like that percussion side. When do you, what, when you start playing, especially the doll, when you listen to a song, that's all you can hear first, because that's yeah. your instrument that you're just listening yeah. to. And I yeah. couldn't do none of that. But I think when True School came in, it mm. was like, it'd been missing for ages. Like when PMC started, there was nobody else. That, like, there was nobody. And so when he came in with that sound, it was like, fuck yeah. I felt like that kid again. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, even though, let's say, you know that the, the hip hop and that kind of choice of music, it, everyone's moving towards this trap game, and I understand it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But that kind of style of music is my go-to. That I go, that you know, if I if I go in there, and that's why I think when I heard your bit in there, mm-hmm. I was like, I was hearing some stuff, and then I was like, uh, oh, the door's gonna come and hit this bit, or so that, and then I was like, he hasn't, and that's, and I was like, and then. You know, you appreciate it from a critic to a fan or something like that. You you know, you just mature in that way. I was like, he's not conforming to whatever. He doesn't give a fuck right. what I'm thinking. It's like, this is what this geezer wants to do. And right. then you kind of appreciate it in, in that way. And whether you did that or I'm giving, giving you more credit than you than it actually was. But I kind of felt that. I felt that. And I was like, okay, you know, that that's... But yeah. you, I can, you can see a journey, you know, like how it's going to kind of progress, maybe, you know, in terms yeah. of it, you do it that way. That's why I get with you on like, the podcast now. That, uh, with, with like listening to 100% Proof, I, what I got from it was the soul of it. 
like there was like this like, just completely personal expression that he's brought out using like soul samples r&b samples that no one has used like before that no one's used since that like no one's touched that even truthful himself hasn't really like gone so far in that direction kind of thing and when i heard that it was like a like a mind-blowing experience i was like how is he doing that and then i got this like i was like how how did people react to him at the time when he was dropping when he first dropped roots another sellout all sold out blah 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 they must have felt this like personal connection to him like oh there's this guy doing something completely different and you could tell his music is his that's him i i from a um from a social point i've never made this point actually yeah mm. uh, before i've never kind of verbally said it but with 100 percent proof it was something that was being played in the car and the gore gale non-indians could listen to it and say they hear the beat and then like it was it combined i, I it was the first time it, I never I listened to like Wam Bam and all this kind of, that stuff, yeah. but this was this had the this was different. So it was like the way it combined and the the beat just like pushing along, yeah, pushing along, yeah. you know. And I was like, okay, it just it just hit together. I think it was just destined to be be that. But I think giving giving those guys kind of credit, the difficulties that how do you follow it up, and then they the trajectory in terms of how they've done it and built exactly. that at a time where marketing and all the social media didn't exist and stuff. I mean, I used to have a legalized, we used to have um, DNT designer technology and we used to get these art folders and stuff. You know what I mean? Mm. I had a massive legalized picture on there and not mm. realizing if you ever look at the artwork of legalized very closely again, <laughs> you see it in a different light as an adult, but I didn't really see those things. I used to see, oh, this is, so I was like, and I used to have usual suspect gig posters. I used to have gig posters in my in my like folder to go around. But um, you know, and in, in in terms of kind of your music, then how do you kind of make the conscious this? Because look, everyone has stolen something from someone in in history. We stand on shoulder of giants. You know, it's an inspiration. Yeah. You hear beats and. You hear music, it's always been played before and stuff like that, which is fine because you've got to interpret that in the same way. Same as someone's doing this podcast and they might ask you the same question in the future or, you know, whatever. Yeah. You can't yeah. be kind of precious in the in this day and age. Do you, how do you kind of make that conscious decision that you're you're making that what you want to do is done for me? Because you use the sample, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like take with, with Bulletproof, for example, where I've used, one of the most famous drum breaks of all time, Impeach the President, which has been used on countless hip-hop songs and then also been used by True School on, on songs of his as well. I remember being nervous as hell, like, making that. And then afterwards, like, I love how it sounds. I know it sounds different. But will Armbanda just listen to it and be like, oh, he's just jacked it from this, that and the other. Do you, do you and, think the Armbanda cares? I don't think they care. But they won't give you that personal connection that I was looking for. Um, I'll say this like straight up. When this check one situation came up, I was also aware of the fact that I know people were listening going, oh, that's just a true school ripoff. Like of like people on the label, like their music. 
that was happening i was saying the same thing like i was listening to songs being like oh that's just a true school ripper and that's like a music purist saying that but say the arm bunda like the normal fan they were also listening to it and saying yeah i like this song full kudos to true school they weren't saying like full kudos to like the producer or the singer he was getting the credit for it because whether they could like understand it or not they just saw it as his sound so part of my apprehension like getting into that situation was am i going to be able to do something that stands on its own two on uh, stands on its own two feet and people see it as mine as uniquely mine the way that i look at punjabi and see discography and say that's his the way in a hip-hop sense i look at kanye's discography for example and i'm like oh those albums those are his no one can make those again there's better albums but no one can make a kanye album but can can I make something that's me? I know your own the, signature in that way. Exactly. I know the EP is not polished. I know it's not the best. Like I listen to it like today and be like, no, nah, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. But and I released it knowing that it wasn't a ten out of ten. I know a lot of people sit back and like they wait like ages. Like oh, I need to release the most perfect song, most perfect paper ever or whatever. But. I take inspiration from my dad and my dad's era where they were just like having fun, like they were just making. Have a goal, yeah, have a goal. The greatest crime is not releasing anything at all. Exactly, and the way I took it was, as long as I'm putting something out there that people identify with me, I actually want people to see the growth and see the, I don't know, the evolution of me. I don't want to come out with like the greatest album of all time on my first try, and then it's getting compared to that every week, like. People want me to drop another one of those, another one of those, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I want people to see in real time, like, oh, so this track is an evolution of that. And I wonder what he's going to do next. And they hear a more polished version of me as it goes along. If you called it Grove Lane, why can you just tell uh, people a, bit, yeah. a little bit about Grove Lane and the area? And why did you why did you use that as a part of your title? I went to school on Grove Lane. So I went to Hands of, Hands of Grammar. Um, and for me, Grove Lane is like the linchpin of my life kind of thing. Like I, I grew up in Handsworth. I lived um okay, I'd say I say Handsworth, but you could say Handsworth Wood in it. Like Yeah, you gotta be careful. <laughs> borderline, isn't it? Borderline. We'll say borderline. You're lucky I ain't asking your postcode. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, it, it was it was B twenty, but it was down the road, isn't it? Like it was down the road. <laughs> but um like coming out of school like for seven years of my life and like being on Toll Road every day, being on Grove Lane every day and seeing that culture like up front. I know for a lot of people it's like it, it's got a bad rap and it has a certain connotation or whatever, but there's a rawness to it. There's a lot of there's a lot of personality to it. And for me, like above anything else, it has a it has a soul. Like that place has a soul that um that boring doesn't have. Boring doesn't have that soul. Like, for, like if I call my if I call my tape boring, like it has nothing to kind of thing in it. But Grove Lane, like Grove Lane and, and Hansworth has that that soul to it. And when I was thinking, like, how do I want my music to sound? I want it to sound like that. I want it to sound like, yeah. like you. Even to this day, you'll remember people you've seen on Zaha Road. Like they have their own like you have characters that you remember that you've seen on Zaha Road. And it feels like this make believe world world kind of thing. But it's real, like, and it's gritty and. Blending those two things with the tape, there really could only be that kind of title. Mm. Yeah. It's crazy how, like, obviously, I'm going to be expected kind of, and like a monopoly board of of tracks coming out in a bit, but then obviously you can, 
you know, EPs with albums coming out. You're, you're going to have to keep it all hands of roads eventually now. <laughs> you know I, mean? I, was like, I was like Nineveh Road Tales. They ain't got the same ring. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I, I was born just off uh, Grove, Grove Lane, just uh, two roads away. I was one, and then I moved when I was one to, to uh, I won't say the road, just in case uh just in case if ever they put a blue plaque up. <laughs> no. Um so you, you can't you you've gone through this thing your your EP. Um, you know, you've got you've done the hard job of getting it out. You've you've done that. You've come out, you followed it with a single again, 3 a.m. Um just tell us a little bit of that and how come that wasn't put on the on the EP. A lot of people ask me that assuming that I'd had it made like ages before and then I just dropped it. It was like a couple of weeks after the EP dropped, maybe three three weeks or so. Um preschool was just like showing me vocals and he he showed me this one vocal. And a lot of them were just like, nah, I ain't gonna do it. Because at the same time I'm still conscious of the fact that people had heard the EP, the main thing everyone was telling me was this is refreshing, this is different. And like, like how you said before, what am, I keep, am I keeping track of the analytics or what the feedback is of what people like? Yeah. I was keeping track of the fact that people were saying, oh, this is completely different. So I'm looking for vocals with that in mind as well. Um, so when he showed me this one and I was like, okay, the flow is different. It's a bit more down tempo. It's a key that he, he didn't sing in on the EP. I was like, okay, I could actually work with this. And it was like within, I don't know, a week, I banged out and that was it. And like, I remember afterwards being awfully stressed about it because it was like, on the on the project file, there's like seven seven or eight stems, so just seven or eight like tracks on there, and that's it. There's no like, I know a lot of people have like ninety stems going on nowadays. I, I already had that many, and I was like asking people like, "Yo, does it sound full? Cool? Like, does it sound alright? Like, is there anything missing?" And they were like, "No, no, it sounds good. It sounds good." And a lot of dilly dallying, we're just sitting there thinking, "Okay." What do I do? What do I do? And then it goes back to again PMC. Like he said in uh, an interview with Dips, uh, Dips Tamara, he was like, um, he does like three, four tracks, and that's it. Like his his songs will have three, four layers. That's it, and he's done with it. And I remember hearing that thinking, "What is this guy on?" Like we know what he's on, but like, what is this guy talking about? Like, like this guy's mad. And that that point with 3am was like you get it let me just release it like this is ha- if it sounds yeah. good let's just release it and see what see what happens and the feedback's been really good so have you have you yeah. experienced a, 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 like a bit of a following now that like people are starting to kind of pick up like i'm not saying it in a way that like you don't come across in that in that start at all i'm just saying like have you started to get a bit of a a, a bit of a movement going towards you i, d- I don't know I, actually, I literally have no idea it's like I'm in my bubble again kind of thing where like, I'm just making beats in my living room, putting it out and seeing the response. And I can't really gauge it off like online or whatever. Um, the only thing I can gauge it off is uh, when we announced the EP, I had like 100 followers, like 150 followers. And that's like not the norm. Like you build your, you build your followers up over however many months, a year, whatever, and then you release because you know guaranteed uh, 50% of your followers are going to listen to it that's that's good enough for me and then we can build off that and build off that so a lot of singles will do the covers um, 
producers might do like remixes and mixes and blah 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 i just i just couldn't do any of that like it, it just wasn't natural for me i thought why not just put the ep out because that way anyone that follows me after this has followed me because of this right like they they've trying to get followed me because they like the music they haven't followed me because they like this one remix or this one beat or this that or the other they've only followed me specifically because they like the ep and that way i have a strong knowledge within myself that whatever i post whatever i put out there people already have that understanding of what my music is and what my sound is so yeah i guess it was a little bit tactical in that way as well but it's just the music really isn't it um, so what does the what does the future kind of hold for you then now what would you say this sort of the you know this question is coming and it? it's just like yeah. next 6 12 18 months yeah um with me i don't work like particularly fast like i don't um bang out 15 tracks over 15 days and like i can keep doing that sustainably it's like you said before like managing addiction and stuff i think over time i've got into a position where i can just i don't like a lot of months will go by where i haven't touched my my laptop in terms of like a beat making way i just won't touch it i won't do anything but then i'll have a day where i i just go crazy and like i make three four five full fully fleshed beats and it's like that's that's good to go and so in that way it's really unpredictable I know it's like really yeah. yeah, I'm I really want to ask this question. It's like I think there was a time where you can kind of do that and get away with it. Mm. And I mean get away with it in a kind of respectful manner. Yeah. I think because of the speed how some of these artists work, especially India where they do 24 hour songs or a week, right. they they bang it out in it. Are you are you worried there's a risk of that where it's like because you've seen some artists that have come They've had this bit. They've gone on a long layoff. It happens in main, mainstream. And they try to come back and they've just missed their boat. It's sailed. It's gone. I think I'm in this really unique position. It's early doors, so I can't really I can't really make like a complete prediction of it or like really solidify it. But I'm in this unique position where I have a sound that if I release it again in five six months there's still someone that will be checking for it and it's okay. not a case yeah and it's not a case of oh i've released an ep of trap bangers and i really need to like hit wallet like the irons irons hot kind of thing and i need to keep going um i i do think i could take my time with it but at the same time i know what you're saying in terms of you really do want to keep like momentum up a kind of thing and with 3am like we released it like relatively close to the EP because that was part like that was that was a decision of mine. I was like, okay, I need to really keep keep this up. Mm. But I didn't know a week before I made it that I was going to do that. Okay, fair it, it it just happened, kind of thing. So whatever happens, it happens. It like it goes back to like the, the whole conversation about control and letting go of control. Like I'm not too, I'm not too, I don't know, plugged into the matrix where I'm thinking all right, okay, he's dropping in three weeks, so I need to stay away from that. Okay, maybe in four weeks I'll drop this and then I'll do the video here, then whatever, whatever. Like, if it happens, it happens. Because I, I know people are checking for me because of the music, not checking for me because of anything else, nothing else to it. 
do you ever get tempted to when your dad brings over some guests and that you just say sitting the chin that had been there, like have you kind of pulled it to the side and go? No, no. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Do you stop bursting into tears? It's it's my <laughs> it's my dad that like really forces it. So when we when he did the Raja Samilla, right? I'd only ju- we'd only just announced the EP, like no one knows me in it, like <laughs> like two hundred followers or whatever. He he's got his Raja Sam interview going on, like as the band, and midway through the interview, he just stops. He goes, and I've also got this acclaimed young UK producer that's about to come onto the scene with me right here, and he's part of the band today as well. And he's dropping it, and he's giving the full like full Heyman style promo about me, and like I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> I've had to speak in Punjabi on the interview as well, and he was just like, he fully does that any chance he gets. Like, but that's just a parent though, isn't it? You know, he's going to do that. Exactly. If he can help you anywhere to get like any bits of PR and that, they, they will, in it? Exactly. Whereas I know at where I'm at right now, I can't, I can't chat to, I can't chat to Simba. I can't chat to him and be like, let's do a song. Because that's like, that's scary. That's next level. Uh, how am I going to tell him, okay, I need you to sing like this over this kind of production. And oh no no don't do that let's do this over again like he'd be completely in control and actually I'll I'll give credit to Amon here for this advice um he he just randomly pulled me aside uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was like uh yes I have a music band boy and I'm like yeah he he's going all right and he was like so you just work what kind of artist you working with and I said yeah new guys and he was like listen never don't work with new guys always work with new artists new singers because these older guys the guys that are in their positions that are in their primes or have all the cards kind of thing they will dictate you and throw you around the room and tell you how you need to do your job whereas a new guy you can mold them you can dictate your style onto them and then when i thought about like albums like brown shaker 2 which is all like all brand new artists apart from like master slim it's like it makes sense because he really got to zone in with these singers and tell them how he wanted it to how he wanted it to sound. Um, yeah, I, he, he's he's like I had a what well, his podcast is like was brilliant when because he's got that way yeah. of giving that advice the way and his storytelling and stuff is is exactly. I think it's so underrated. Like yeah. I, he get like I don't mean underrated in that way in terms of like respected. He, 100%. he doesn't get his flowers as much as that he, that he deserves. He's, he's another guy like Jazzy, where you see him, you meet him, you talk to him, and he's just a normal bundle, completely normal bundle. You would have no idea this guy is like produced however many songs for like a million monthly listeners on Spotify. Like, what? Where does like? How do you do that? Honestly, the, his um, I think I kind of opened it up when I looked when you go back into mm. his uh, portfolio and you just look at him. Bloody, I forgot about that. Forgot about that. And he's just like as a machine, like bang, 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 coming out. All the all the India stuff he did as well, like that era, that 2000s era, where all those new India singers, Bubble Man, um, that later on or whatever, and they were like, Yeah, we need that UK sound, we need his sound. And he was banging out albums like every month, like whole whole album, and then doing his own albums here. I'm thinking like how do you use a machine with it and um getting that like talk from him understanding it and then also the sort of like 
the pragmatic side of it where he had to compromise in certain situations to get certain things done. So when it came to his own releases and what he was doing for himself, yeah, he knew he wanted that 100% control. And yeah, I thought that was like the best sort of advice I've ever really had, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like it's such a and, and the thing is, is like you you're actually demonstrating it in terms of taking it on. Lots of people get advice. It's just actually like uh, what you're gonna do with it. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna kind of come towards the end of it this this bit now. So, yeah. um, as you know, this is the bandwagon. So, is there a bandwagon you want to jump on, jump off, or is there anything you want to kind of clear the air and get off your chest? This is your space. As people could tell. By now, I'm like a, a bit of a hater, and I'm I'm like oh, there's a bit of hate in me for a lot of things, and I I've like literally ever since you asked me, I've been thinking about what mother don't want to drop out, and there's like too many, there's so many in my head that are going around, but I'm gonna say one specific one because it's I really just need to get off my chest kind of thing, and whether it's a bandwagon or just I'm just like yeah, getting it off whatever in it, um. Old head producers, esteemed legendary producers, giving big, big talks and big tweets, Instagrams, interviews and stuff, saying, oh yeah, what these new kids are doing, sample based, this, that, the other, nah, it's not good, like, we need to do 100% live music, blah, 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 blah. And then on their own production, getting those same kids that are doing that to go as producers. The hypocrisy is mad. The hypocrisy is crazy. I don't want. I don't need to say names. I don't need to say names. I don't want to say names either because that one might get me in trouble. But if you're thinking of a name, a Tiga, you know what I'm saying? Like it makes sense if you're thinking of a certain name, and it really like it properly like I'll just say it, it just it pisses me off because it's you have like stay with my dad. He will say all of that, but he always adds that like that condition where it's like if you're doing it creatively and you're doing it like out of love for it and um is it like an originality to do whatever like i said he loves juice he loves my music like he don't listen to hip-hop he don't listen to like any of this kind of stuff but it's because he knows that there's something original going on whereas i'm thinking of one particular producer but there's there's probably like five or six that anyone can name um, has consistently badmouthed like that art form and my peers really now like people that are in my age range. So what? what, they, what are, so the, the particular thing that aggravates you is yeah. old school producers criticizing new school producers because they're using samples and splice and all these kind of things. I'm guessing. Yeah, but and, then yeah. and then using it themselves anyway. Exactly. It's like, just practice what you preach. I know. Like, if you're going out there on a limb saying all this stuff and like chatting about like people my age that are trying to do something original to the scene, right? And then turning around and like taking our music, using those same, but they're not just using the samples, not just using splice or whatever, but literally grabbing people by the collar kind of thing and saying, Yeah, I want you to go produce this many tracks for me. It, it don't make sense to me. Like that. I so is it so yeah i got yeah um is it yeah so is it so also in terms of like because i kind of mentioned this very early on in the podcast when i used to do it was like 
I kind of understand them though as well at the same time, which is they've spent 20 years learning the art mastery of percussion and all these other like yeah. keyboards, whatever, right? And then you these kids come in, got their laptop, absolutely just said, Oh, I'll take a little bit of that. I'm just sorry, I'm just really simple. No, 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 no. I'll have a little bit of that, I'll have that, put it together, bang, put it out, and they're getting a hundred times more of a reaction than the old school guy. And then the they then they look at it saying, Oh, this is wrong, and then go down the whole purist argument, and then then say, actually, I I'm actually gonna need some of that. So come come here, help me out. Is that what is I, that in general? I, I get it to an extent. Before you get to that last stage, I a hundred percent get it. Um if you've got an issue with that sample, because me personally. I, like what, what I told you, my favorite era of Punjabi music isn't the the garage like scene. It isn't it isn't even like the true school era you could call it. It's still that live percussion era. But um, the people that are saying that and bad mouthing sample based stuff. When was the last time you released a hundred percent live song yeah. or an album? And on, it, I yeah. think I think also that again, it's going back. Do you think the public give a shit? But here's here's the thing, and again, it's really hard not to name the guy. <laughs> but for example, with this particular person, that's been like jacking ghost producers and jacking samples and using loops for X amount of songs for the last like year two or whatever. Their last big song was a hundred percent live song. The one song that's hit throughout like this period, the one song that anyone actually knows. Is the one that has live doll, live sarangi, live algodje, um, a live baseline, even right? Don't have to say like, do you know what I'm saying? That happened. That song exists, and that song has probably more streams, more numbers than the next ten combined. Hmm. So uh, the other part I don't get is, I guess another part like the bandwagon thing is like, it's, it's having no self awareness where it's like, this we know what works. We as the listeners, we know what works. There is a live sounding song that you have produced that uh, a singer has sang <laughs> that has, I don't know, almost a million streams on Spotify, um, a million views on YouTube. That's a young, that's a young audience that's pushing that. That's not that's not exclusively just like 30, 40, 50 year olds. I know that from personal experience. Like I talk to my mates, I know what songs they listen to in the car. I know it's all heavy songs. I know it, I know what it is. I know it's you're, 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 you're a wild one, man. You're a wild guy. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's true. No, honestly, it's true, though. It's true. Yes. Yeah. I don't get where that that disconnect comes from. And, like, God forbid I ever get to a point where I, think, I don't know. I think you raise such a valid point around kind of self-awareness. And yeah. you've got to have those people around you who swear at you and just actually tell you you're constantly shit. All exactly. the time, um, because exactly. it, they need that groundwork. If you start exactly. having just yes men around you and women, um, yeah. you're going to get into a very sticky situation because then you'll actually start spending money on absolute delusional projects, which are terrible. Exactly. Um, and this is all just my opinion. It, it doesn't mean anything. I don't pay their bills. They don't pay mine. It's just, it is what it is. No, same. And if you look at these singers, producers, whoever, their live sets, what are they singing? Are they singing that song that dropped three weeks ago? No. They're singing the song that dropped 20 years ago. Yeah. 
that live, that real music that you produce with actual heart, that lives on because we can say Armband that doesn't know doesn't know Jack or whatever, but they do know something like they do understand when something's made with like a purity to it, Hannah. And um, yeah, that's no, I should be asking good thing before I get too big. But yeah, no, that that's that's the main thing for me, really. All right, I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it to a close at this bit. Please, please. And then um, we'll do a director's cut, yeah. And then um, we'll uh, when your next stuff comes out, we we'll definitely um, I get you in person. I'm sorting in some stuff out, yeah. and then hopefully we can we do it, man. But thanks, man. Well, well done. Continue it. All the best. All your yeah, stuff. You check support. one and do all your. You keep going, bro. No, I appreciate. It. Thank you for having me on, man. Right. No problem. Really luck. Respect. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.